What is up, everybody? How are we doing today? Doing good? Good to see you, man. It is so great to see you. It is so great to have you here. Uh, I cannot believe that December is already upon us. Christmas is coming. It's just happened so fast. Anybody else feel like your life doubles in December, like you have more things going on? Yeah, there's so much happening from Christmas shopping to school programs, holiday parties. You know, we live in Florida, so we get, some of us get so many visitors, some of them we don't even want. Um, but, uh, but there's so much happening. And I would say the same thing is true here at Cape Christian as well. We have a lot happening. And so we're going to start our series in just a minute, our Christmas series, which I'm stoked about. But I want to make you aware of a couple of things before we do. So um, if you've been to Cape Christian for a while, if this has been your church home for the last several years, you know that typically in December, we do a big end of the year offering that we call our vision offering. And our vision offering goes to us investing into all of our different ministry partners. We partner with a lot of different ministries to help the movement, the, the, the message of Jesus. We believe we should be in the healing ministry of Jesus, uh, preaching the gospel and, and, and all those things. And so as a church, our philosophy is not to be average at a lot of things, but we want to try to be great at a few things and then partner with others who are great at different things than us. Uh, and so that's our vision. We're still doing that in the month of December, but rather than take one big offering, you can bring that in any time in the month of December, but it's going to look a little different. Um, we're kind of putting it into two different places or two different categories. What typically used to be vision for our ministry partners is now under the umbrella or the category of missions. So if you want to invest into our ministry partners, that's missions. And for those of you who may not know what our ministry partners are, I just want to go through them really, really quick and kind of update you where we're at. Um, because in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus gave his church the mandate to reach the world in three different areas, and that's exactly what he did. Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And for us, what that means is our city, our region, or our nation, and the world around us. And so we're bringing all of that used to be vision under missions. And if you grew up in church, missions for you might only have the connotation of overseas. But for us, us missions can be down the street, it can be the park, and it can be overseas. And so for us, those ministry partners are Samaritan's Health and Wellness, which is right here in Cape Coral uh, on the parkway. But Dr. Sue Hook and her team are amazing. That kind of was birthed out of, of some of this church and investment. They do healthcare, uh, counseling for the uninsured, underinsured. People drive from all over Florida to come and get taken care of them. And, and we always want to be a major investor into what they do um, because they are not funded by anything other than fundraising, grant, uh, some grants, and a lot of donations. Um, so your giving goes to that. Um, it's just a way to be a part of the healing ministry of Jesus. I believe that if we're not a part of the healing ministry of Jesus, we're missing out on one third of what his life was about. Um, in that similar vein, we have Cornerstone Consulting and Counseling right here on our campus. Dr. Amy and her team uh, meet with countless people from our church and our community, from grief to marriage counseling, just to work, walking through depression, all those things. Um, our staff meets with her team regularly just so we can stay emotionally healthy. Um, and so we partner with them as well. And that's right here in Cape Coral. Uh, right here on our campus. And then another thing that we firmly believe in is we believe we're blessed to be a blessing. And so we always want to be actively and directly and indirectly investing into new churches being birthed, church plants. And our goal is to always be investing into a church plant in another city, as well as a church plant right here, because other churches are not our competition. They are our brothers and sisters, and we're all part of the same kingdom. So... 
And we just want to bless and invest where God is moving. And so uh, my friend, Pastor Chris, who was here last year, who will be back next year at least once out in Corona, California, our city church, they launched with 1,000 people. They average about 500 people now. Um, they're doing awesome stuff. So they, uh, we invest into them. Our city church is a church plant. And then um, Restoration Christian Church right here in Cape Coral, Pastor Rob and Meredith just launched a couple months ago. We've invested into them. They worshiped with us uh, several times before they launched. Um, and so we're investing in that. And then we are also a part of an organization called ARC, um, which is a church relational network where we give monthly offerings to them. And all of that money goes to investing into church, train, church planner training and churches that are being planted. So we are directly and indirectly always investing every month into new churches that are healthy, being birthed in our city and around the world around us. And so that's where some of our missions goes. Um, and then we have another exciting thing that we put some resources towards this year, which is our church online, um, which you may not know this. Yeah. But every weekend, over 400 people join us online. So if you're online, I'm talking to you. Tell us where you're joining us from. Can we hear it for our online church that joins us? Yeah. And I just want to say that you are just as much a part of what happens as everybody who sits in these seats. And uh, we want to make sure you get the same type of experience. And so um, that reaches, again, that's a medium-sized church in our country that we get to reach every weekend. And so uh, that gives us kind of a global reach, which I love. And the thing that I'm probably the most excited about is last year we, we had kind of gotten to the point where we only had one overseas missions partner. And we really made that an emphasis in 2019. And so in, last, in this last year from 2019, we went from one overseas missionary to 12 overseas missions partners. Uh, just in one year, we increased that from one to 12, and we want to continue to grow that. And so we have them all over the globe. You'll be hearing more about those in the next couple months to come. Um, and you'll be hearing from our local ministry partners every week in the month of December. Uh, because a couple of weeks ago, I talked about first fruits and giving to God with God's and being blessed. Well, I want you to know as a church, we do that. We want at least our first 10% to go out to other people who are furthering the movement and the message of Jesus in our city and in our part of the world. And anybody who's doing that, we are partnering with because um, a house divided cannot stand, but a house united can do anything. Amen. And so we want to be about the kingdom of God. So that was formerly our ministry partners. That was formerly vision. If you want to give to any of our ministry partners, that would go now under missions. Missions for us is anywhere Jesus is being preached and people are being reached and served. Uh, that's everything from water wells and orphanages overseas to Samaritan's Health and Wellness and Cornerstone Counseling right here on our campus. So that's missions. The other side is building. Uh, it's no secret that we are running out of space. In fact, five years ago, there was a conversation that this church was growing and we should expand our capacity so we can have room for everybody, but the decision was made by the board and the leaders and the staff Rather than build a bigger sanctuary for us, let's build a park for the city and just give it to the city because that's, we are a church for the city, uh, which now we're known as the church with the park. Uh, in fact, it was on the shirts this weekend for Holiday Festival of Lights, which has only led to way more growth in this church. And um, now we're running five services, eight to 10 on holiday weekends. We have five or 600 volunteers that help make this happen every single weekend, um, which is amazing. But heaven does not have a capacity problem, amen? But Cape Christian does, amen? Um, so we're going to be, in 2020, we're going to be talking about our building campaign. Actually, in February, you're going to get invited to meetings. You're going to hear about it from this stage. We're finishing the design right now. We have an amazing team that's been working behind the scenes for over a year, uh, and I'm really excited about that. So some of your end-of-the-year vision uh, money that you maybe set aside for some of that can also go to the building uh, of next year, kind of getting us kick-started with that. And so we wanted to make an opportunity for you to make an investment to the building or any of our ministry partners, which is our missions. Um, so those are the two things that are happening. Happening. And again, we're not going to do one big offering like around Christmas. It's just any time in the month of December, you can do that. Are you with me? Say, yeah. yeah. 
Okay, the next thing I want to talk about is what's happening in December because the next few weeks we're doing some things different and I don't want anybody to be uninformed. In about two minutes, I'm going to start our Christmas series called We Three Kings. We're going to talk about three important figures in the Christmas story. I'm really excited about it. We're going to start this weekend and then the next weekend and then the following weekend. And I want to say this right up front. Each week is going to kind of build on itself, so I really hope you're able to join us all three weeks because there's kind of this crescendo at the end that is going to tie it all um, together. So that's for the next three weeks, and that will end on December 21st and 22nd. Then, because Christmas Eve is not on a weekend this year, we're going to have our own separate Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve with lights and with uh, Christmas carols and scripture reading and the Christmas story. It's going to be beautiful, elegant. We want you to bring your family. We want you to bring your friends, your neighbors. There will be child care for preschool and under, and that's just going to be a 40-minute Christmas Eve service. It's going to be beautiful. We're going to run it every hour on the hour, starting at three o'clock, so three, four, five, six, and seven. Um, and that's one of the things that I uh, want to ask is if you would be willing to attend one of these and serve one of these, that would be a huge help. I said at Easter, I'm always going to ask two weekends of everybody, if this is your church home, would you, would you be willing to serve one service on Easter and serve one service on Christmas? And so um, if you would be willing to help us with one of those services, that would be a tremendous, tremendous help. Uh, and if you haven't, you should go through Growth Track and join a team because it's better that way anyway. So, um, so we have that on Christmas Eve. That's December 24th, which leaves the last weekend in December. And this is what I really want you to know. We are, for the, this, we are calling it our staff and volunteer appreciation Christmas service, which means rather than you come here for church, we're going to bring church to you. Our worship team and myself are going to visit every house. No, I'm not, we're not doing that. Um, <laughs> but actually, we are. Because what we're doing is we're filming our own special end of the year service and we're just going to do church online and it's going to be tailored for you to sit down that weekend when it works for you with your family or your small group or your friends, maybe some of you who live by yourself, get some people together. There's going to be worship, there's going to be a message, and then there's going to be a couple of questions to discuss amongst each other, kind of like a church meets small group. And we're going to not come here. We're going to take the week off. We're going to close our offices. We're going to close. Yeah, we're going to give our team, our volunteers, and it's just a way to say thank you so much for their investment. There's so many things happening. We want you to be able to slow down, enjoy the holidays, make room for Jesus, make room for family. And, and again, you'll still have church. It just won't be here on this campus. So don't come here because we ain't going to be here. We're coming to you. Um, we're going to run it every hour and a half starting Saturday morning. So kind of like the Mandalorian when it drops on Friday, you can just pick whichever time works best for you. And then you can watch church that weekend on Saturday or on Sunday. And then we'll do that. And then we'll be back here on our normal, uh, normal weekend starting in January. So are you still with me? Say, yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome. So that's what's happening in December. That's what's happening with the end of the year giving Christmas, Christmas Eve. It's going to be fantastic. Are you guys ready to dive into it? All right, let's do it. So, um, so we're going to dive into something that, that I've been digging into for years. And as I have, it has really brought the Christmas story to life like never before. I'll never see it the same. I have a, such a greater, deeper appreciation for the story. And, and it has more significance to me. And I really pray and hope it's going to have the same uh, kind of effect for you. Now, I want to say this. We're going to, especially this week, is going to be a lot of information up front because uh, we're going to dive into some history. And one of the things I'm always leery of is too much information uh, because we don't want to come here just for information, but we want to be here for transformation. Amen. 
And we all know that information is only good if you apply it, and that's what leads to transformation. Because we all know that we should work out three or four times a week. We shouldn't eat fried foods and a lot of bread. We all know that we should pray. We all know that we should, you know, run, do those things. We know that, but some of that information is doing us no good because it hasn't been applied or transformed us, right? Y'all are looking at me like, Pastor, why you gotta go there? Um, <laughs> So I don't want to do that where you just learn cool things, but I really hope and pray and believe it's going to lead to getting into our hearts and lead to some transformation. But I want to take you back to the Christmas story, to the world that Jesus was born into. And as we say often, that when you understand the world of the Bible, it makes the words of the Bible come to life so much more. And then we're going to ask some questions about what does that mean for us here and now? Because I believe as we zoom in there and then, it's going to have a deeper impact for us here and now and, and maybe mean some things that we didn't understand. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into it. Will you join me? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that um, you can bring it to life like never before. And so, God, I pray that your word, your, your history, this context would be true, that it would speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, anoint me. Move me and my flesh out of the way, and you just speak to hearts. Uh, and get, again, God, I just don't want this to be information where people go, wow, that was cool, but I want it to lead to a, a deeper appreciation and understanding and impact of who Jesus was and what that means for our life and what you have for us because I just thank you, God, that you are Lord and you are alive and you came to be with us. And I just pray and believe that for all of us who go on this journey, that that, that will have a more depth and more meaning than ever before. So do what only you can do. Uh, Holy Spirit, this is your service to do what you want with in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 2, if you have your apps, your devices, your iPad, whatever, um, if you have a droid, um, we'll pray for you that you come to Team Apple. Um, but uh, nonetheless, they have apps on those too. So uh, Luke chapter 2, this week we're going to be in Luke 2. Next week we're going to be in Matthew 2. And I want to ask some questions because in those days, if you were reading the story and the account of a teen pregnancy of this girl who has a baby, different authors included different details for different reasons. And if you were reading that time, you would understand the significance of those details where sometimes I think the significance of those details can be lost on us because it was 2,000 years ago in a different culture, a different time, in a different language. And so I really want to zoom in and ask, what was the world that Jesus was born into like? And so we're going to start with our story in Luke, and then we're going to kind of uh, unpack it a little bit. So Luke chapter 2, uh, the birth of Jesus starts like this. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus, say Caesar Augustus. That was pretty wimpy, but I'll give you another chance. Uh, issued a decree that a census, say census. There it is. Should be taken of the entire Roman world. Say Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Say register. register. Okay. Now, to us, when we read that story, we're just like, yeah, what's the big deal? Rome, cool, go register. If you live in those times, every single one of those details has unbelievable significance and a massive historical impact. And I want to go ask some questions. And so I want to ask a series of questions as we kind of drill down and get to the point of what does this mean for us here and now? So, um, and I, want, I, don't, I don't want to tell you what to think. I'd rather you fully engage your mind and you have the information and figure out what does this mean for yourself? So, First question is this, what was the world like at the time of Jesus' birth? This is important. What was the world like? God, in his providence and in his divinity, could have chosen to send his son to any culture in any time in history. Are we all on the same page with that? Yet he chose this world. So we got to pay attention to the world he chose. So the world was ruled by the Roman Empire. This is important. What was the world like at the time of Jesus' birth? It was ruled by the Roman Empire. If you um, didn't take history or you don't remember this in history, it's okay. I'm going to give you some information. There won't be a test, test later. No big deal. I just want you to listen 
to what this world was like. So how did Rome, next question, how did the Roman Empire come to rule the world? Great question. Rather than just give you an answer, I want to read just some quotes that you can find in any history book you can find online. This is just historians and authors in those days around the 50 years plus or minus the, the time of Jesus. How did the Roman Empire come to rule the world? Well, in those days, there was a very prominent German, uh, I'm sorry, a prominent Roman general named Germanicus. Uh, and it said, uh, uh, said of Germanicus, there's Germanicus, uh, makes a really nice sculpture. Um, it says that he slaughtered, how did they come to rule the world? Germanicus slaughtered the population across the Rhine. For 50 miles around, he wasted the country with sword and flame. Neither age nor sex inspired pity. Only the destruction of the race would end the war. The Romans sought to wipe out everybody who was not a part of their movement or their race. At best, they would encapture you and enslave you. Most likely, they would burn you or destroy you. They would slaughter everybody who got in their way, all inferior races that would not submit to their way of living. Uh, Pompey, you know the name Pompey, some of you, was also a very um, uh, popular, uh, prominent general in those days. Um, they believe, historians believe, he took somewhere between 12 and 30 million people into captivity, in surrender, in over 1,500 towns. This dude just weighed lace to everybody everywhere. 30 million people into captivity in 1,500 towns. Uh, of the capture of Judea, uh, when, when Jesus' people, the Jews in the area of Judea, um, Titus uh, Livius, the Greek orator and author, he says this of the captivity of the Jews. It says, some 500 or more were captured daily, and they amused themselves by nailing their prisoners in different postures. So great, this is crazy, just in the history books. So great was their number that space couldn't be found for crosses nor crosses for bodies. They literally ran out of room, nailing all of the people they came to slaughter on crosses. They couldn't find space for crosses, and they couldn't find crosses for bodies. In fact, one guy, one day, nailed, uh, there was a revolt that happened three and a half miles from uh, Nazareth in a city called Sepphoris, where they nailed, they crucified 2,000 men in one day. This would have been a path Jesus walked regularly as a teenager. Josephus, the famous Jewish historian, says this, they would crucify people in different positions for their amusement. So how did Rome rule the world? They dominated, they destroyed, they slaughtered, they crucified, they scorched and burned by the sword. They would encapture, they would enslave. Um, there was a Roman general named Cassius. Uh, one, one, in one account, he enslaved 30,000 people in and around the area of Magdala. That name should have some sort of meaning because one of Jesus' disciples was Mary of Magdala or Mary Magdalene. So this world totally affected Jesus and the people you read about in the Bible. Um, Lucius Verus, the Roman general, um, I, I mentioned this, he was the one in Sepphoris, which is three and a half miles from Nazareth. He nailed 2,000 people to the cross. This happened in 14 AD. Well, Jesus would have been a teenager. So every time they passed that way through business, there was a reminder that Caesar runs the world, that Rome runs the world, and if you oppose them, this is what will happen to you. Bodies everywhere, burned it to the ground. Um, in Acts, um, Acts was, uh, Paul was on his road to Emmaus. Some of you know about the road to Emmaus. A few years after that, it was burned to the ground by, by the Roman Empire because they just weren't going to go with the flow of the Rome. So do you understand how Rome got their power? They literally went for global dominance, destroying and enslaving everybody who got in their way unless you paid homage and tribute to their empire. So that leads us to the next question then. Who ruled the Roman Empire? Well, the answer to that question is our first king of the three kings. This series is called Three Kings, Three Weeks. See how that works? Um, the first... 
You all know this, right? Caesars. Who ruled the Roman Empire? A series of Caesars ruled the Roman Empire. Um, they would have worn, you know, something like this. It would have been olive oil. They were very famous for the Roman Empire, also adding croutons and cheese and calling it a salad. Um, <laughs> these are, this is what the Caesars did. Uh, this is who ruled the Roman world. They were a series of Caesars. And I want to give you a little bit about the first couple, and then I'll, I'll move on. But the very first Caesar was a man named Julius Caesar. You probably know that uh, name from history or the Shakespearean writing. Um, but, but here's what you need to know. Julius Caesar was different than all the other Caesars because Julius Caesars ran more of a republic. It was actually the Roman Republic. He was a, a military leader. He was a, a governor. He was a politician, a general. Um, but his rule led to a civil war where many different people wanted Rome to look different and wanted to be in power. And you had Mark Antony and some of these other generals. Um, and uh, he ruled until 44 BC, but his reign led to the demise of the Roman Republic and the rise of the Roman Empire. And the biggest difference was the Roman Republic was led by a parliament and governors. The Roman Empire was the entire world, the entire rule brought under one leader. And so that was Julius Caesar. And then uh, after the, he was killed and after the Civil War, his adopted son Octavian became the next Caesar and Octavian's name was changed to Augustus. Augustus was the first Caesar of the Roman Empire. And this is what was so unique about, about this is um, when he came into power, he initiated an era of relative peace known as the Pax Romana or the Peace of Rome. But, uh, but when he came into power, he got rid of all of his opponents, all of the, the, the parliament, anybody who wanted power, he destroyed. He drowned some of his kids that he thought wanted his power. He killed a couple of his wives that he thought were conspiring against him. There was so much craziness um, about, about this time in history. And he, he brought the entire rule under one man, not one man in a government system, one man to rule the world, to offer peace to all humanity. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. And it was largely free from large-scale conflict for more than two, for 200 years, there weren't wars. Why? Because he already destroyed and conquered everybody. And he did it in the name of world peace. How ironic is that? So uh, the whole Roman Empire was under him. Followed by him was his son Tiberius, was the next Caesar. Tiberius was the Caesar in power during the days of Jesus' ministry, as you see in, in Jesus' older life. Then you have Caligula, then you have Claudius, and you have Nero, and you have Titus. But you have a series of Caesars who rule the Roman Empire. Now, because we already read in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says, at the time of Caesar Augustus, Luke wanted everybody to know this was when Caesar Augustus was running the show. So I want to zoom in for a minute on Caesar Augustus and help us understand some things because there's some really unbelievably true history books. You can go find it for yourself. Fascinating things that happened when he came into power that have all kinds of symbolism and parallelism with this other Jewish baby that was born around the same time. The Jewish baby's name was Jesus. That's just a spoiler. Um, <laughs> so Caesar Augustus is in rule at the time of Jesus's birth. And here's what you need to know. His empire extended from Great Britain all the way east to India. Caesar Augustus literally ruled the whole known world. Not him and his cronies, not the parliament, him. He ruled from Britain, Spain, all the way to India. Um, the, the, the parliament, because he had destroyed all of his opponents, the parliament declared him God on earth. And here's what was said of Caesar Augustus. True story. He is the one who was to come to bring salvation to all mankind. This is Caesar Augustus. This was one of the main propaganda, one of the main slogans. And so temples and statues were built all over the world in his honor. Prayers and sacrifices were offered to Caesar Augustus. The Romans made a list of cities that he conquered and monuments and offerings were made to the divine 
Caesar's. They called him the one who is to come. Uh, in fact, uh, Virgil, uh, who lived in that time, said this. This was kind of a prophecy about Caesar's. He came into power. Uh, Virgil says this. He says, Caesar Augustus will annihilate. This is so important. He will annihilate the evil of the past and free the people from unceasing fear. Virgil also said that he, Caesar Augustus, will establish, establish a universal empire of peace and it will lead to the golden age of blessing for renewed humanity. So Caesar Augustus, at the time of Jesus, was offering to wipe away your past, remove all of your fear, a renewed blessing, a renewed humanity, a world peace. Where have we ever heard this before? And then, to add it more to it, the craziest thing happened at his dad's funeral. In uh, 17 BC, they were celebrating the death of Julius Caesar. Well, in those times, astrology and astronomy was a big deal, and, and Caesar had so much, uh, and Rome had so much money that they would pay people to literally just watch and study stars all day. That's all their job was. So in, in, it's totally historical. You can go look it up. This is so fascinating to me that when uh, Julius Caesar had died and they were at his funeral and Augustus is there and all the people, that a bright star was seen in the sky, a star like none other uh, that was seen in the sky. And at the time of the funeral, the star turned into a comet and shot off and disappeared. And so Caesar Augustus declared that that meant that his cosmic hour had come and that his dad, Julius Caesar, had went to sit at the right hand of the father Zeus. And so Caesar Augustus said, if my dad is God, then I am the son of God and my cosmic hour has come. And so he began the slogan and the propaganda that Caesar is Lord. There is no other name by which man can be saved than that of Caesar, and I bring world peace. And this is where it gets even crazier. So then it, he announced that his cosmic hour had come, and they started, it inaugurated a 12-day celebration where Caesar said, at the end of every year, we are going to have a 12-day celebration to celebrate my coming of uh, my divinity, my, come, my birth, my coming into power. And so they would, at every year, at the last 12 days, um, the logic went like this. Since I'm the son of God, I should be worshiped. So let's have a 12-day celebration at my birth. And they called that the Advent. True story. A 12-day Advent to celebrate the birth of... And here's what would happen during those 12 days. Caesar was going to offer you uh, forgiveness of your sins. He was going to wipe the slate clean. You were going to get a fresh, renewed start. And you were also going to have the opportunity to bring homage and pay gifts and worship him and, and it was kind of tipped off by everybody wore red and green sweaters with snowmen all over them. Okay, that part's not true, but all the other stuff is. So Caesar Augustus sets this thing up, and now he's going to be the one who brings salvation. Follow me here. He's going to bring peace on earth. He's going to bring goodwill to men. He's going to offer a kingdom of peace and a kingdom for all mankind under one reign, under one rule, because there was a star in the sky and his cosmic hour had come. It was a fresh start to new followers. These were the days of Caesar Augustus. What story have we heard that sounds kind of similar to this? Peace on earth, a star in the sky, one ruler. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievably fast. This was the turning point of the age. So now you have to ask yourself, if he rules from Britain all the way to, uh, to India, how in the world do they get this message out? How do they get the propaganda out and the slogans? Because they didn't have, you know, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. They didn't have text messages. They didn't even have the Pony Express. So back 2,000 years ago, what was the one thing that traveled quickly through the whole land? Money. And so the best way 
to send a message was to mint coins and print money with whatever you wanted the new slogan to be. So this would have been coins that would have said, Caesar is Lord. Caesar offers peace. There is no other name by which man can be saved. This would have been on all the money, and in a month's time, it travels through the entire land, and now everybody knows nobody should look to anybody else. Caesar is bringing peace. Caesar offers forgiveness of sin. Sins, Caesar is Lord. And so in the middle, this is the world that Jesus was born into. God decided this time in history for the first and only time in world history where the entire world was ruled not just by one nation, by by one leader who claimed to have forgiveness of sins, claimed to offer salvation, claimed to offer peace, claimed that he could do for you what no one else could if you would only worship and pay homage and pledge yourself to him. But if you didn't, he would kill you, burn you, stab you, nail you to a cross in a creative way. In fact, the Romans were notorious for perfecting the crucifixions. Do you start to understand the world Jesus was born into? This was happening when Jesus was born. So then that leads us to our next question. Well, how in the world did Caesar get so powerful? That's a lot of land. Well, that's, I mean, a pretty simple answer. He had a huge army. Caesar, in order to conquer the world, to have his message go forward, he had to make sure his army did what he wanted. And if you opposed him, he would kill you. If he smelled that you were opposed him, he would kill you. There was so much paranoia in that day, it was crazy. And so the main propaganda, Caesar is Lord. And so you, he would send his army to all the regions and all the villages and all the towns claiming that Caesar is Lord. So you would either participate and they would build temples and statues. You'd either participate in Caesar worship or he would kill you or wipe out your entire village or put you into slavery. In fact, one time again, as I mentioned, 30,000 people at one time. So next question then, if he has this giant army, what are people just like, hey, I love your vision. I want to sign up for this. No, how did Caesar pay for his army? Well, how do we pay for our army? Taxes, yeah. I don't know if you know this. Your taxes are paying for our military. Nobody seems to understand that one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> taxes. So follow me because this is going somewhere. Caesar wants to rule the world. He wants to have an empire. If he wants to have an empire, he has to have a bigger army. If he needs a bigger army, what's the only way he can get a bigger army? He has to pay for it. How is he going to pay for it? on the backs of minorities and real everyday working people who have settled in their land for 20, 30, 40, 50 generations, Caesar demands whatever he needs for his army because after all, he's Lord. After all, you should worship him. And after all, he offers peace. But if you cross me, I'll kill you. So you can only go into battle if you have revenue coming in. So most believe, most historians believe that the taxation in the world at that time, you heard me say this a couple months ago when we talked about Zacchaeus, was 80 to 90%. Just for a second, imagine if when you got your paycheck, you got 12% of it because 88% of it was gone. Like just the thought of that, like some of you are boiling right now. Some of you are like, don't even get me started. How much already comes out? Like we're not talking about that today. <laughs> There was a Herod tax, there was a temple tax, there was a Caesar tax. So if you're a farmer or a fisherman or you have cattle, it would go like this. He would have tax collectors all throughout the land. And when your boat, say you're a fisherman, as some of Jesus' disciples were, when your boat came in with a huge catch of fish, the tax collector would be there and he would say, two for Caesar, one for me, five for Caesar, three for me, one for you, 20 for Caesar, 10 for me, 30 for Caesar, five for me, two for you. And if you didn't like it, he could just drown you or kill you, what are you gonna do? Caesar had the biggest army. This was the taxation in Jesus's day. And so they're paying so much taxes, why? So Caesar can make his empire bigger. Now, imagine if you were a good Jew in Jesus's day. 
And I'm going to I'm going to take you back in the Old Testament for just a second because there was a promise to Abraham that I was going to give he was going to give his people a promised land and that they were to settle there and they were to increase and not decrease and they were to have land and they were to expand that land and hand it on to the generation and that was that's what we see happen in the book of Joshua and Judges and so for 1400 years at this time in history the Jews the Israelites the people of Jesus have settled in this land and for 20 to 50 generations almost 1500 years, you have had your land, you've raised your crops, you've gotten animals, you've hopefully increased, you've handed it on to the next generation and they've done the same generation after generation after generation. And you were told, this is our land. God, our father has promised it. Don't lose the family land. And it's been yours for over a thousand years. But now you're getting taxed more and more and more. And Caesar says, if you can't pay for my army, I'll kill you. So what happens when you run out of boats and run out of fish and run out of cattle and run out of crops. What do you have to do? You have to sell your land so you can pay Caesar's tax so Caesar can have a bigger army for Caesar's empire so you can worship Caesar because Caesar is Lord. This is the world. So if that happened, you would have to sell your land that had been in your family for thousand plus years, generations, 20, 30, 40 generations, and you would have to go find a skill and go wherever the work was. Well, this is super significant to the story we're reading. Why? What do we know about jo Joseph, Jesus' father? He was a carpenter. And, and we know that there was a census that was taken. And Jesus' dad, Joseph, had to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which means Joseph doesn't live in the family land anymore. So was it Joseph? Why isn't he in the family land? Was it him? Was it his dad? At some point, they lost what they had had for 30 generations. So Caesar could build his army, so Caesar could be Lord, so you could worship Caesar because he offered forgiveness of sins and peace and he offered all kinds of things. Joseph's not there. He brought peace, really, but Caesar's bringing peace and he's gonna make everything okay. So, which leads us to one of our last questions. If all this is going on, how would Caesar know how big his empire was? Take a census. So here's what I'm gonna need to do. I need to know how great I am, so I need you all to go back to your hometown and I need you all to register because I need to know about my empire. So this is the Roman Empire at Jesus' birth. Caesar is Lord. Caesar has brought peace. There is no other name by which man can be saved because after all, there was a star in the sky and he declared it as cosmic hour and who can oppose him? This is the setting and these are the details that Luke includes that he wants you to know. Things were not good for people following God in these days. Caesar's having his day. Caesar's having his reign. And in the middle of this huge empire that had never happened before, in this tiny little oppressed minority corner that Caesar probably never even knew about or visited himself, Luke writes an account about how they traveled and there was this, there was this baby that was gonna be born. And he goes on in verse four and he says this. He says, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth into Galilee and Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he had belonged to the house and line of David. So Joseph is misplaced. And we go on in verse five. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and this is the Christmas story. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And another account says, and she named him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God chose the one time in history where there was already a son of God that was claiming to be Lord of everybody to send the real God to be with us and among us. This story is way more than just a teen pregnancy from a Jewish gal that's still questionable scientifically. 
This is a huge story. Why does Luke wanting you to know that's happening at this time, that in this, in this huge Caesar's empire, in the corner, there's this oppressed, minority, slim, ethnic group, and there's a baby being born, and this baby has the potential to change everything forever. The Christmas story isn't just about the birth of Jesus randomly. The Christmas story is about Jesus versus Caesar. Caesar was offering a bunch of things he couldn't deliver on, much like the world and the empire around us. Caesar was promising things that didn't, he couldn't deliver on, that he couldn't offer. And yet at this time, Jesus is born. And under the, the guise of Caesar is Lord, in this tiny corner, there's a baby who grows up and starts preaching and teaching and, and fulfilling prophecies. And there starts to be whispers in Nazareth and in Bethlehem and in Judea, Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. This, is, this story isn't just about then and there. This is about when there's oppression. This is about when there's no hope. This story is for the, the single parent who's going, man, is, is it always gonna be this way where I'm just clawing my way out of this hole that never ends? For the economic struggle where it's like, man, am I ever gonna be able to pay the bills? It's, the money's gone before it comes in. Am I always gonna wrestle with this oppression, this depression, this addiction? This is the story. These are the, this is the context Jesus was planted in and he came in a time where there was no hope and there was all this other stuff and he came to bring hope and to bring life because this story is Caesar versus Jesus because guess what happened to Caesar Augustus? He had his day. Listen, the empire, the world will have its day in our lives. But guess what ultimately happened? He died. And then Tiberius became Caesar, but guess what? He died. And then Caligula became Caesar, and guess what? He died, and Claudius died, and Titus died, and Nero died, and at this time in history, there's this other narrative of this other king of the Jews who came to save the world, where Acts said there is no other name by which man can be saved than that of Jesus of Nazareth, because there was a baby that was born, and your guy, and your guy, he died, and he died, and he died, but Jesus, he lives. Caesar's not Lord. Caesar doesn't bring peace. Caesar doesn't bring me what I need. Jesus is Lord. Jesus lives. Jesus is Lord. Jesus lives. And this story is not just their story, but it's our story because if there's a time where the empire seems to win, this story is for everybody who's just saying, man, I'm just so tired of Caesar just pounding on me. Well, guess what? 2,000 years ago, a baby was born. And he didn't just come for them there. He came for everybody who would call on his name to be saved, who would stop putting their hope in the empire, putting their hope in Caesar and say, I believe Jesus came for me here and now. Jesus, is he your Lord? Here's what's so ironic. Everything Caesar claimed to be was actually true about Jesus. And none of it was true about Caesar. Caesar couldn't forgive sins. He couldn't live forever. He couldn't reign forever because now there's been almost a billion Jesus followers and Caesar is a type of salad. That's what happened 2,000 years later. So you tell me. We just told a history lesson about Caesar, but Jesus is still alive and moving and active in our lives right here and now. Jesus lives. Jesus is Lord. Caesar might have his day. And I just think some of you, you need to be encouraged. Caesar might be having his day in your life, but he doesn't win. Caesar doesn't get the final word. Jesus does. One other thing that's ironic, and then we'll close. I, I think this is so, so cool. That Caesar sacrificed others so he could become Lord by demanding it. Caesar tried to become Lord by sacrificing others. 
Jesus sacrificed himself to bring salvation and freely offer it to anyone who would receive it because he really is the Lord. So who do you want? Somebody who sacrifices you at his own expense or a God who would come be among us, live among us, do it the right way and say, I'll sacrifice myself and I'll offer myself freely. No pressure, but the hope that you're looking for, the purpose, the freedom, the, the out of the underneath the oppression, it's not in Caesar, it's not in the empire. Caesar doesn't win, love wins. That's what this story is. What an amazing story. And Jesus told this story, or God chose this time in history to tell this story. So, where is the focus in your life been on the empire? Where is the Caesar winning? And it's time to refocus on Jesus and go, I need Jesus to live in my life. I need to know that Jesus wins. Caesar might have his day. This might be dark, but the depression isn't going to last for the, forever. The oppression isn't, the finances are going to change. God's going to take care of it. He, you know what this message is? God didn't leave them there to hang them out to dry. He came and brought a savior, but he didn't bring a political savior and he didn't bring an economical savior and he didn't bring a military savior. He brought somebody who would actually take care of the guilt problem, the shame problem, and conquer death, hell, and the grave once and for all. And he said, you know what? Since you can't make it to heaven, I'm just going to bring heaven to earth. And then I'm going to let you enjoy join me in bringing heaven to earth if you would just follow Jesus and receive him. So where in your room do you need, where in your heart, where in your life do you need to make room for Jesus this holiday season? Is he Lord? Is he your focus? Because he lives and he sacrificed everything. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He brings salvation and he offers it freely for anyone who would accept him. Christianity is not a belief system. It's an ongoing relationship and a way of living. And it's offered freely for anybody who's tired of Caesar winning. So I'm going to have the worship team come. We're going to sing one last song. It's a newer worship Christmas song, and it couldn't be more perfect for this message. It's called Here Comes Heaven. And as we do, I'm going to invite you to sing if you're comfortable. If you want to just contemplate or pray or reflect, I want you to just think about where do I want to make space for Jesus in my heart and in my life this Christmas season. Would you stand with me if you're physically able? Worship team, come on up. And let's just focus on and reflect on Jesus for a minute.
thank you for coming and doing what only you could do. God, thank you for sending your son to be the true redeemer of mankind, the bringer of peace, the bringer of hope. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to give us an opportunity to be free from the guilt of our past, the fear of our past. Uh, offer us the life, God, that only you could. I pray, God, that, that we would reignite our faith in Jesus, our relationship, God. If there's anybody here who doesn't know you or hasn't made room in their life or their heart for you, I pray just even right now they would make the decision that if this is how the story goes, I think I want to align myself with Jesus. God, I pray that, that the revelation and, and just the, the, the who you are, that you would deepen that and make it more real to all of us as we approach uh, the real advent, which is the preparation for your birth. And as we celebrate the real star, the real son of God coming, because Jesus really is Lord. Jesus really does save. And Jesus, you really do live. God, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.